Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the Roos, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bruised Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC, and we are a couple of days removed from the drama that unfolded against Southampton. And we're now just two days before a true title-deciding match against Manchester City at the Etihad on Wednesday evening. Um, if you are inclined to look at some of the data models, then how's this for a terrifying stat? Uh, Canon Stats ha- says that with a win on Wednesday, Manchester City will have an 86% chance of winning the title. And with a draw, they'll have a 65% chance of winning the title. But if Arsenal win, then we will have a 70% chance of winning the title. Obviously, models are not everything, but it really, really does you know, set the stage for this is a you know winner-takes-all type of game that Arsenal, we can't just go in and draw even. We have to absolutely win and I'm sure that's going to play a, a a bit into how we set up and kind of our mentality, I think, and we'll definitely talk about that. But I do have to say, for as terrifying this matchup is, how nerve-wracking I already am two days before, you know, it to be in these types of matches, I would absolutely rather, you know, be in this situation than you know some of the purgatory of some of the previous season's run-ins, where you know the results mattered for our you know viewing enjoyment and for you know our acute emotions, but in the grand scheme of things did not matter at all. So with me today to talk about this matchup is Luke. You can find on Twitter at Echo Coon. Luke, how's it going? Yeah, I'm actually like kind of like you. I'm so excited. <laughs> I think like yeah. you were saying, it's the the big moments and this is, this feels like crunch time and it's uh, I'd so much rather have a game that meant this much than, you know, have the, the boringness of a season petering out. Like, you've got to be in it to win it, you know. And uh, and at the moment, we're still in it. So I'm really looking forward to it. Fair. I can't wait. Yeah, being in the States, I, I often watch most of the games just you know, by myself on the couch at, at home. And for this one, I'm you know, debating going to the Arsenal bar that's here in Philadelphia with, you know, they already, they're expecting a, a well over, I think, 100 people are going to be there. I already say, you know, usually they let in any Premier League fan because it's obviously it's never like sold out. I've already like put out it says, you know, you can only come in if you're wearing, you know, something Arsenal or you're supporting Arsenal. So I can't decide if that's going to be, you know, more enjoyable to be in that moment or make it you know, the potential for what could happen. And I guess hurt even more because you're kind of experiencing it with everybody. Obviously, you know, that's the normal way to experience football matches. But you need ale, Justin. Not- Oh, yes, yes. It will be a plenty. <laughs> Either I'm at home or not, it will. Yes, it will be needed. <laughs> but also with us today is Ben. You can find on Twitter at Ben Browning 3 Ben, have you already chose your selected ale for Wednesday? Uh, I'm working, so I'll be uh, covering the game, but not drinking, um, unfortunately. But I was just thinking as, as, you, as we started the podcast, it started tipping it down outside like biblical proportions of rain and i really hope that isn't a sign of things to come for this podcast and for two days time <laughs> um yeah i think we're, we're all kind of excited we haven't been in this position for a long time um 
it's going to make the heartbreak so much worse if we lose, but it's going to make the euphoria so, so good if we win. Uh, and if we draw, I mean, be basically the same. There'll be people saying it's a great result and people saying it's a terrible result. And we'll have to see where the dominoes fall from there, I guess. Yeah, Luke, I want to get your take on kind of how Arteta should handle this match. Uh, I think it's fair to say that, you know, whether or not Arsenal have been bottling it, I think is the wrong word, but I think it's, you saw with Aaron Ramsdale, I think one of the reasons that he made that error so early on is, you know, nerves. I think it's pretty easy to say. Arteta has talked, I guess, after the Anfield matchup, match saying that we weren't nervous because we wouldn't have started as fast as we were if it was nerves. Kind of the reverse happened, I think, against Southampton. Do you think, you know, Arteta is setting up his team, you know, talking about team talk, should he be kind of telling the squad, you know, now we're underdogs to kind of try and settle the expectations and nerves? But the reality is, the title is still in our hands. We can still win every single um, game we have left and win the title. Should you know, Arteta kind of be still using that message to try and galvanize the team to respond from a little run of poor fixtures or kind of looking and say, maybe it hasn't worked. Maybe I need to kind of ease the expectations. Yeah, I think I much prefer the underdog label than, um, than the lead in the pack label. And I think it probably does suit our, our level of experience at this point in time. But this, uh, the thing that scares me about it is that I remember a few seasons ago, Man City called themselves like the shark team and it kind of, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because they, they really do smell blood and right now they must be smelling blood. But at the same time, they've got a lot of fixtures in May, a lot of fixtures in May. If, if they get through that and take maximum points, then, you know, it, it's going to be tough for anyone to catch them in, in any season. But I do think... I think, that, I think the definition of your... Um... Your phrase was fair fucks, wasn't it? Fair fucks, yeah. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> I hold true to that. To be honest, if you if you can play eight games in one month, like in and and take maximum points from places like Brentford away, Brighton away, Everton away, which obviously like still games Man City are massive favourites for, but these are like tough games, still tough games in isolation, even tougher games when you kind of consider that Everton is sandwiched in between. Um, Real Madrid ties and things like that. They got more just on their plate than just the Premier League. And they've got a lot of depth, but at the same time, they're still playing a lot of players quite a lot. I still see Grealish inside quite a lot and things like that. I still think that it's, there's going to be a, a point where their promise level drops, and I hope it doesn't. But obviously, so I hope it does. Um, and in terms of Arsenal, it's it's just up to us to, to stay in the race as much as we can because we can still win, like you said, every game that we play. We're good enough to do that. But it has to start with City. Like the the toughest game is now the next game. We have to be able to go to Man City, who at this point are, I think everyone will probably agree, the form team in the world. And we have to find a way to get at them, which, you know, if you look at a lot of their recent games, they haven't been perfect. Like I think you can look at when they played Bayern Munich away and they got um, some joy out of them, but didn't put their chances away. Even the early goings against Sheffield United, they had some chances and didn't put away. So I think it's about... I think Wayne Rooney had a really good point about it where he said, without Saliba in the team, whatever we go with, we're not going to be able to keep a tight net on, you know, Erling Haaland, who's the best striker in the world on this day. But we can impose our own game. And if we're brave enough and good enough on the day and take our chances, which is something that we haven't really done in our recent meetings with Man City, then um, then I think we've got a real chance at it. Ben, do you kind of have the similar attitude, I guess? M- maybe it makes it, I guess hurt a little less if we end up not winning the title where you kind of have that fair fucks mentality that if 
City go on to win the treble and they do it, you know, being perfect through a month, you know, a, a run of fixtures, you know, it's been well documented, you know, they have Real Madrid twice, they have to play us that, you know, like, just like Luke said, it's kind of like, you kind of have to hold your hands up. And also if they beat us, that means they beat us, you know, they did the double over us in the season. It's kind of, you have to hold your hands up at that point and say, you know, this is an incredible team that Arsenal came up against. If they win the treble could be one of the best teams that we've seen in a very long time, may be one of the best city teams, you know, even you know, going up against that cent- the Centurion team. It's kind of like, what do you do almost at that point? And does that like, kind of ease the nerves that it's because you're going up against a team that almost seems, if they do it, 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 it they're destined for greatness kind of thing? It, or does it just kind of, because we're in this place that we also could be you know, great, if that makes sense? Um. I think, you know, you have to look at City as this sort of endless pit of resources and, you know, they're always there. They're the juggernauts of Premier League football at the moment. Um, and we saw Liverpool try and fail for, what, four seasons against them. Um, so I think the, there has to be a case of City can always just go on these sorts of runs that no Premier League club has ever managed before, sort of 2015-ish. When you know suddenly City are going to put if City win out win out from here, I think they put together something like a twenty three game unbeaten run or a twenty four game unbeaten run, which you know is very very difficult to do, and even more difficult to do season upon season. And they keep doing it, so you got to say to an extent, fair enough. But also there will be people who say, you know, there's a this is the worst City have been for a long time, even with Haaland. You know they've got defensive issues and. Uh, their midfield's getting older, that sort of thing, and this all, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, "Oh, well, they're only going to strengthen in the summer." You know, there's rumours of Bellingham, or rumours of Rafael Liao, or um, like yeah, other wingers and other midfielders. So, I think that I can understand both sides of the coin. I tend to lean towards sort of a yeah, fair enough if they do because they'll, they'll still put up what a ninety-three point season, ninety-two point season, something like that. If they do that, then fair enough. Like. If you're beaten by a team that put together 92 points, then fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think we have to be proud of the boys, regardless, because of how hard they've worked. When we none of us expected to be challenging for the title this season, you know, everyone expected. Well, most Arsenal fans expected us to get top four. Most fans of other sides expected us not to get top four. So you know, I think that where we are is not necessarily a reflection of where we should be along this line. And I think some stuff like having to play Rob Holding as a third-choice centre-back or, you know, having uh, not quite got the depth that we need in midfield, those are natural sort of uh, consequences of being ahead of our progression. So I think, like, this isn't going to be the last time Arsenal win the uh, challenge for the title. Is it going to be the best chance Arsenal have against the City side? Maybe, but we won't know until next season. So, you know, I think it's... It has to be a where it were done. We did well, but you know we ultimately threw it away or couldn't keep it together. I guess when it mattered the most. I got a really good, really quick, um, like indication of kind of the vibe of the fan base on like on Friday when, um, obviously, fighting for that last goal just to get the the extra two points, and I think most fans will say right that over the course of the game, obviously, we weren't good enough. You can't concede three goals at home to the team bottom of the league and expect to get three points. But that kind of last 10 to 15 minute flurry where we kind of 
Odegaard scores and then Saka scores and then you see seven minutes on like more uh, time to come and you see the the run in the boys put in and the effort they put in and and how, the tempo we played at and then we created chances just couldn't put it away and then when the final whistle went and you see all these players kind of fall to their knees and I think it'd been very easy for fans in the stadium to be quite dismissive and say, well, you know, you gave it a good go in the last 10 minutes, but overall in the game wasn't good enough and just kind of leave it at that. But I noticed that there was a lot of singing of support after the final minute for for the boys. There was a lot of the, the we love you Arsenal, we do. But while they're kind of just laying on the pitch, completely physically gone. And that was a really like interesting telling moment for me of like the, the kind of the mentality of the fans was the players where it's fair for us to kind of criticise when they haven't been good enough as they haven't been good enough in especially the West Ham game and the Southampton game. But it is still the case that the fans understand how impressive the season has been and and the connection that we've got with the with the team now to the fact that even after games like that, where it does feel like it's two huge points dropped, that we can still kind of sing the name after the last whistle because of the, the journey we've been on along the way. Yeah, Luke, really quickly, I guess, building off of that, you know, we haven't lost in the league since City. We're on a 10-game unbeaten run right now. And and yes, it was seven straight wins and then three draws. It, it Because it's three straight draws, it's a little disappointing. But do you think that, you know, I, I, it's obviously the social media, like his, hysteria and, you know, people on Twitter, you know, freaking out, you know, that Arsenal are absolutely terrible. But in reality, you know, we are on still on a 10-game unbeaten run. Do you think a little bit of... I guess the fans kind of overreacting to, or I guess over-indexing like how poor Arsenal are in terms of, you know, yes, it's three bad, or two bad draws, but and it, to go 10 games unbeaten is still, you know, um, impressive in the league and, and it's kind of being overlooked a little bit. Yeah, I think the context gets skewed a little bit, to be honest. And it's similar to, like, like we've said before this season, that Spurs think they're having a terrible, terrible season, but they only think they're having a terrible season because they gauge their success against us. If oh, they I were, don't know. Now I think they, they are. Seven, they just, okay, just made in seven goals. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting worse and worse. But I do think that if we were still meandering in seventh, and they were in fifth, a few points off fourth, um, then they would think that was all right. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they'd be fine fourth place. They'd, they'd maybe be some like some people not quite happy, but like the mentality be so much different. Whereas now our season, you know, if, if you say to any Arsenal fan, you offer them second at the start of the season, they bite your hand off without any shadow of doubt. 99.9999999999% of Arsenal fans bite your hand off. But now our success has been engaged by City. So it, it changes, right? So drop in um, points to Liverpool, Anfield and West Ham and Southampton on a 10-game unbeaten run at the start of the season sounds amazing. You say to me, it's again, at the start of the season, that towards the end of the season, we're going to go on a 10-game unbeaten run, seven wins, three draws. I say, brilliant. That looks like Champions League form to me. But at this point in time, we've been engaged by the performances of Man City because we're hoping we're going to finish ahead of them, which is why it hurts a bit more and why I think, even though it's, a, it's all right to be annoyed at the team or criticise the team at times, I still think that the overall kind of prism of the season gets overlooked sometimes in the sense that we're having an incredible season. It may not end how we want it to end, but it still could. But 
I think that some of the reaction to to these points kind of overshadows how good the season has been at times. And I've seen like reactions of people having to go at Arteta. I saw people having to go at Saka, which I thought was mental because he was one of our best <laughs> players on the day. It's crazy, crazy opinion that. Um, and yeah, I just think that sometimes when you're fighting for something, as we want to do, then the the opinion of that is down to whether or not you actually get there. And if you don't get there, then, you know, people are going to be sad and, and that's understandable, but I still think you have to appreciate the journey along the way. I think also, reality, like a, I think also there's a, you know, you've got to step back and appreciate the, the scale of what's changed. Cause you're, you're talking about like Arsenal coming from eighth to second in the space of what, 18 months or whatever. But also then, when you look at how we're perceived from the outside, you've got Chelsea and Spurs, both without managers, and the, the reports are like, oh, you know, they want to find someone who can do what Arteta's done at Arsenal to these other sides. Like it's, We are the blueprint now, for sure. Yeah, every, but everybody thinks it's some sort of normal thing. You know, everyone's like, oh, well, Graham Potter will be able to do what Arteta's done. Like, it's not... What we're seeing is special, and I don't think that that's necessarily being appreciated enough, and a lot of it's being normalised because you know, because it's Arsenal and we should be doing this. But the fact that we are is, you know, in a lot of ways amazing when you look at the squad we've got. I mean, yeah, we had, when we came into the season, we sort of had any in the squad and Rob Holding and, you know, Cedric Suarez was still kicking about. If you'd said we'd be second, you'd be like, what on earth's gone on here? Like, you know, it is a massive overachievement from this club. And, you know, if we keep going in the right direction, then, we should be fine for the next few seasons. Yeah, in in reality, Arteta has talked about that we are at stage three of his five-stage plan, and I can guarantee you stage three was not win the Premier League. (laughs) It was probably, (laughs) you know, achieve Champions League qualification. We've done that, I'm sure. The stage four and stage five is, you know, to have a sustained top four and to be then, you know, challenging for the league and challenging for the Champions League and we are obviously like you repeating exactly what you said, Ben. We are over exceeding any expectations and any you know remit that Arteta would have had for this season. No, nobody expected that. No fan expected that. No, you know, the footballing world did not expect that. So it, it's difficult in the difficult these you know difficult moments to kind of take a step back and think, like you said, about how far we've come because it's not easy to get where we've. You know, gotten and, and to do, do what you know the way that we have with you know leaning on the academy and youth, and we have seen how that can go horribly wrong. But for us, you know, it went horribly right, <laughs> and that should you know needs to be applauded. And obviously, this is not the time to do that. And you know, we'll kind of shift gears to the match itself. And Luke, I think it's pretty apparent that we have some issues with our defending and our defensive structure needs a little bit of work. And so I want to take this in two different approach, two different approaches. The first is assuming there's going to be no, you know, substitutes. So the, the team is going to be holding at center back Gabrielle at center, you know, we're not going to make any wide scale changes against Southampton. You saw Thomas party dropping basically right next to Rob holding and, that uh, is obviously that was obviously done to kind of help ease the burden of progression and, and our, our our ball movement, I guess, off of Rob holding it on to Thomas Party, but that also brought him away from the center of the pitch where he was not as effective in 
stopping Southampton transitions. And it also just made our, the spaces between our midfield way too big. And so I'm I, maybe that's going to stay, but what, I guess, structural things would you do if you were Arteta, maybe bringing Granite Xhaka to be more of a, just a standard double pivot, I guess, or what, if anything, would you, I guess, do, assuming we don't make any subs to kind of help stabilize our defensive structure a bit? It's really difficult, to be honest, because obviously the the big thing that people talk about in terms of holding is that our defensive line is a bit deeper, which may not be the worst thing against Man City. But at the same time, do you really want to give City more space to, to kind of push you back? Or, or do you want to be brave? And as I said before, the similar to what Wayne Rooney said, do you want to impose yourself on the game and try and get your your game onto City because you know that in my experience from watching City most of the games they they lose are the games that teams come at them and and try and play them and actually try and play football against them because they're not really used to that so the main fear for me would be how brave can we be if we've got someone in the back line that can't cover vast amounts of space quickly which is obviously something that the majority of defenders can't do so you have to look for it somewhere else I, I, I completely agree with what you said like party was coming back so for the most part of this season, we've kind of built in that kind of two-free shape where you've got the two centre-backs and you've got kind of uh, Zinchenko, Party, and uh, Ben White kind of just ahead of them, which is kind of like shielding that. It's whether or not we um, want to do that or if we want to switch to more like a three-two shape, so you're kind of covering a bit more, which is what we did against Southampton. I think Xhaka being in the team makes a huge difference. And I kind of referenced it in the, um, in the Southampton match review where that kind of role where Odegaard obviously has a bit more freedom, but both Odegaard and Xhaka, they're, they're not really playing eights. They're not really playing tens. They're kind of like, they're floating in between at certain moments. And it does feel to me that um, Xhaka is just so good at knowing when to be in certain areas. And that helps us offensively because he receives the ball in good areas. Like he shows good angles for passes and helps us in transition as well, because he knows when to cover space that hasn't been covered. And I think that's something that Fabio Vieira has not probably not had to do in his career so far, it's probably something that he's still learning and it's something that he'll probably get better at over time, but it's something that we definitely saw against Southampton as, as, a, as a weakness. So Jack coming back in the team is instantly a huge thing. Another thing is, it's just, it's keeping your heads and, and individual errors because I think a lot of the times when we um, played City in the past, like in, even the last game at the Emirates, obviously the Tommy Asu back pass, which led to admittedly a, a fantastic finish from De Bruyne, but it's a, you know, it's a very preventable error. And then the the Grealish goal at the end is us just not knowing when to play out from the back, like when to be brave and how to do it. It's, you know, it's, it just feels to me like we can f- try and fix the structural issues. If holding's going to be in the team, then we have to either make the decision to make the take the risk of taking that line higher, even though holding isn't going to be able to cover that space at times. Um, I think that we probably have enough pace around him that we can cover those eventualities. And we've got to try, I think, because the big thing for us is whether or not we score. We've got to score goals in that game. And if we try and hit them on the counter, then we're going to be um, subject to what every other team that plays City has. And that is going to be that they will pen us back. They'll eventually find some space. And they've got players that can hurt deep blocks like like Mares was fantastic against Sheffield United. Obviously, Bernardo Silva has been one of the best players in the league over the course of the last month, I think. But I do think that in the last few games, you've seen that, that there are there are things we can do to hurt City as well. I think especially the Bayern Munich game, which is the main thing that I saw, is Bayern Munich were getting a lot of joy 
getting the ball quickly up the wings to, to like the likes of Koeman. Uh, Koeman was having a lot of joy on their right-hand side coming in against City. Um, and I do think that that's our strength as well. Like we can hit Martinelli and Saka early, try and get the space. Martinelli has had some good performances against City over the last few seasons. So I think that when you ask about our defensive kind of integrity and, and tactics, I think that it might just be a case of the best way for us to defend is just for us to to attack them. I think that we have to isolate Martinelli and Saka against them, at, you know, in, in that space where where John Stones is going to be floating centrally. He's not always going to be in the area. There's going to be space there. If he does go out to Mark Martinelli, then they're taking away a big central presence in their midfield. We've um, seen before now that Ake looks like he's not going to be playing. So whoever plays there is probably not going to do that job as well as Ake, in my opinion. Um, so now I think it's just a case of how well can we isolate those players in those areas? Can we drive at them? And can we be uh, kind of reliable that we'll finish the chances we create because we've got to do that early on we've got to stamp our authority on the game yeah one i guess fear that i have is i think we saw in the two didn't go in the first minute yeah going to is i think we saw in, in the fa cup tie that rob holding kind of had a similar approach to playing Erling Holland as he did at White Hart Lane last season. And <laughs> he was subbed at halftime and it was pretty clear he was not going to make it the full 90 minutes playing the way that he was. And I guess my fear of, you know, setting up the side to, you know, play very aggressive is that basically that, that, mm -hmm. that plays directly into, I think, you know, what Erling Holland is really good at if we do, you know, give them space, but also <laughs> what I guess, Rob Holding is bad at is kind of being too overzealous. And I guess when Rob Holding has been okay, I think it's been when he kind of is not involved that much and, and doesn't try and do too much. And I don't want, I, I guess, you know, that, that sounds really shitty, but it's kind of, you know, it's just be the, not the guy, you know, don't be the storyline, just kind of be, there and, and do your job but nothing more and even going back to the way that city played us at the emirates you know they purposely sat deeper and and, and wanted to play long balls and utilize erling holland's physicality and his pace and kind of yes we have to you know, be on the front foot we have to score goals but i i'm i guess in, intrigued to see if that's going to be playing directly into what city expect and kind of what city want if it is rob holding so Ben, I'm going to ask you, kind of assuming that we do make switches, that Arteta says, "Look, I'm sorry, Rob Holding, we need to not have you in the squad." What are some options that you think we could go for? Would Would you be interested in a back three where maybe that means playing uh, Bukayo Saka as a right wing back? Would you be intrigued at maybe playing Kieran Tierney as a right back? It's It's very not conventional, but he's done it in the past and maybe just having Kieran Tierney on the right, it, it may seem, you know, maybe that right-sided may be a little worse offensively, but at least you have Ben White as the center back and that kind of makes it a, a net positive in the end. What are your thoughts on, I guess, any changes that we may see to kind of brush Rob Holding to the bench for, for this match? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think... 
there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot. I don't know if you've been on social media much today. There's a lot of uh, what I would do sort of 11s going around. Um, I, do, I think that moving Ben White to centre-back is the obvious answer. The problem then becomes who you play right back. And if you are going to um, give away a lot of the ball, then I don't think you necessarily need to do that because Jack Grealish is very, very good on that left-hand side. And, you know, if you're going to play Thomas Party at right back, if you're going to play Kieran Tierney at right back, then, you know, you're not going... like Having a lot of the ball will not help. Like, I think that we have to set up for how we think the game state is going to go. If we if we're planning to have a lot of the ball, I would be surprised if um, we're holding played. But I think if we're planning to sit deep and hit them on the break, like you know, like we could do like, as one option. I think that you know we might see Rob Holding come out um, for maybe someone different. I think Party's probably. It's hard because obviously you don't want to take Party out, and Party hasn't been great himself the last three games. Um, but I think Jorginho did quite well um, against City when we played them at home. So maybe he might come in and Party might go to right back. Or, as you say, Kieran Tierney is an option, but I don't particularly like that option. Um, or I suppose another option even is put Tierney at, uh, back at left back and moves Zinchenko into midfield to, you know, maybe beef that up a bit. But I think I think there are lots of options, but I think that if we had wanted to do any of these options, we probably would have seen them come in sooner. Um, I know Luke disagrees with me a bit, but we've had these three games where it's been quite clear for most people what the problem is, and we haven't changed it. We haven't even changed it in-game either, so it hasn't been a case of, you know, on the hour mark, we've tried something different. So I just... It feels like it's going to be Rob Holding on that team sheet on Wednesday, irrespective of, you know, whatever mental gymnastics we're all doing to try and find a way around it. Um, yeah, that's just what I think. I would I would have liked to have seen changes against Southampton, but because we haven't, I think that the chances of seeing changes when we need a result against, you know, away from home against the champions is unlikely. Luke, so one of the players that has kind of has been one of our players of the second half of the season is uh, Trossard. And I thought he did you know, pretty well, given the circumstances coming on as ostensibly a, a central midfielder playing that left eight role. But he has not you know, started in a couple matches. And it's been a bit ever since Gabriel Jesus has kind of been fully fit. It's been Martinelli, Jesus, and Bukayo Saka as the front three. You Kind of building off this, this thought of substitutes and kind of knowing the history that Arteta and Pep have and they like to kind of, not galaxy brain is, is the wrong word but they, they do like to make changes to the team whenever they play one another we saw you know Bernardo Silva started off as a left back in the reverse fixture you know something that was not expected and it didn't go great for him but Pep and Arteta are, are definitely known when they go up one another they kind of do try and out pep each other i guess <laughs> trossard is somebody that i think you know he's played well enough to deserve to start would you have the potential to to start him in the front three or would you want to see him you know play as from the from the get-go as a left eight it's um i feel like i'm gonna kind of go against myself a little bit here because i think trossard did do really well when he came on against the Frampton. he looked one of our more 
like like he was getting a lot of joy in in that kind of space. I think also like you know today he got player of the month and I think he completely deserves that. He's been fantastic. And then I'm going to say all that and also say that he was really good against Man City in the away FA Cup tie. I think he probably was probably our most um, dangerous player in that tie. And then after saying all that, I'm going to say I probably wouldn't start him because I just think for what we need in the game, we need that Martinelli pace. We need that Saka pace. The only, you know, if Jesus has not been over the last few games, probably in his best form. But I, I think that when you're playing, he's still got four and four there, hasn't he? So I mean, like, it's hard to true. Hard to not. I think it's because of the chances that he missed against Southampton. It just seems we haven't had that like, that game where we were bit by his poor finishing. I think it's yeah, it's the opposite yeah. issue, isn't it? It's weirdly the opposite issue is that um, before in the season it was God, he's playing so well. It would be great if you could just finish off a few more of these chances. And now it's it's always oh, got four and four, but it feels like. In the last few games, his overall play hasn't really been as as good as it usually is. But I just think that when you're going into a game like this, you have to play your your best striker. And as good as Trossard is, and even though we won seven of the league games that he started this season, so all the stats were probably points towards putting him in. I just think that front three, to me at this point in time for this game, is set in stone. And I don't see him coming in anywhere else unless we were to change shape to something that had more players in that area and maybe he comes in then, but I, I don't see us changing formation that much. Yeah. I think that, you know, you kind of hinted at changing a formation to getting more players. That is kind of what Pep has done at city. He switched to this three, two, four, one, and it's almost a little like put all the attackers on there and he's playing John stones as a defensive midfielder. And I would be stunned to see, Arteta makes some crazy switch like that, but when you lay it out, switching to a formation like that would allow, I, I think, having Trossard in that probably in that left side of that four across behind Gabriel Jesus. Ben, kind of building off this, how do you unlock this city's weird three-two-four-one formation? Is it? Do you, I guess do you follow the blue the blueprint that Bayern Munich set? They obviously didn't win, but you know they attacked the wings quickly and, and early in the build-up phase and kind of for, forced the city defense, you know, to be spread out and kind of forced John Stones to have to cover the midfield or or cover the wing, which obviously then leaves a lot of the space in the midfield, and, and you're kind of stressing them that way. Is that really? I guess to me, it kind of seems like that blueprint obviously feeds into what we do best. And there's without Ake, it does seem like we will have chances and we'll have opportunities to score kind of is contingent on how quickly we're able to progress the ball up the wings though. Yeah. I think, um, I think that it'll be really interesting to see what Pep Guardiola actually does because his first, um, you know, his first team would be to play John Stones as that inverted right back role. But as we saw against Bayern, that comes with massive caveats. If and you know, if 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 I'm Pep, I'm thinking the one one of the few players I don't want this to happen against is Martinelli because he's so quick, he's so two footed at this point in the season. You know, he's been excellent on both feet, and we can. He's a, he's one of those players that just sort of seems to run through challenges for fun. Um, so we might see something like Kyle Walker at right back and John Stones playing more, more of an orthodox role, you know, we might see something completely different um, because it's Pep and you never know. And, you know, Pep Bernardo Silva a left back last time. So 
I just think that if if uh, Stones plays in that central area, then yeah, the key will be to win the ball back high and force it wide quickly, especially down the left, but also down the right, because it'll probably be Laporte on that left side. And, you know, I'd say Saka probably would have the better of him a lot of the time, whereas with Ake, it was a lot harder because he's been excellent this season. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just literally just about getting the ball wide early and carrying, being not being scared to carry the ball. Like you saw Coman and Sana and Musiala cause a lot of trouble, in the, especially in that first half, because they were just happy to run with the ball into those spaces. And that's what Arsenal need more than anything. And we do have it. You know, we have two of the best dribblers in the Premier League on, in, on either flank. So that is where I think the joy will come. Um, but I can also see Pep Guardiola you know, thinking the same thing and then shoring up on the right. Not sure what we do on the left, but you know, shoring up a bit on the right and playing Walker and then that negates it a bit, but makes it a bit easier in the central areas. So I think it's going to be a really interesting sort of cat and mouse scenario all the way up to when the starting 11s are named and then even beyond that. This is a game that could go either way. You know, City probably, well, City are the favourites by, you know, virtue of being on a better run and being at home and being the champions. But Arsenal can cause them a lot of damage. We can cause any team in the world a lot of damage. It's just whether we can keep that back door shut. Yeah, I, I definitely think it will be interesting. And if you look at this Arsenal team, you kind of say you want to do kind of what Newcastle did is do absolutely everything you can to force Arsenal centrally and kind of it, it, I think it then falls a lot on Martin Odegaard to do not hide from that opportunity and kind of be the playmaker in the central areas that we need him to be and he has been for large stretches of the season if the game goes that way I think it will be a, a huge opportunity and for him to kind of he hasn't been amazing the last month or so he's been de- you know good but not the levels that he was previously and that obviously follows with a lot of the rest of the team so it, it is there's a, obviously a lot riding on this game and i know that i'm nervous i know that you guys are all nervous and it's going to be a terrifying first or terrifying 90 minutes hopefully we don't go two nil up don't know what i would do in that situation both be you know electric but also not ready for it <laughs> And yeah, I think that's this, that is a good place for us to wrap things up. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you, I'm sure you could tell that there's a little bit of nervous energy in the way that we talk about this because there's so much riding on it. There, it's hard to d- discuss this without you know acknowledging that fact. So yeah, we we will be back probably Wednesday after after the match, maybe Thursday. Who knows? You know, depending on the how we're feeling, depending on the way the result goes, but. Yeah, we're in for we're in for a doozy. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. Thanks to Luke. You can find him on Twitter at Eckelcoon and Ben. You can find on Twitter at Ben Browning3. We'll catch you next time. Odegaard is joining in and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka beaten out by the race and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Yeah.